to come. Defib is on its way to the upper deck, she said. Is there anything else you need? The pilot has collapsed, I said calmly. Do we have anyone on board who can fly a plane? Not that we were about to start running airplane-style up and down the aisles, begging passengers to jump into the captain's chair, but we did have a list of off-duty crew on board whom we could surreptitiously approach in the hope that one of them might be a pilot. If not, the air hostesses would need to rely on their pilot incapacitation training and step in to help with the checklists. Technically, the first officer could land the plane on autopilot on his own. The danger was, however, if he ran into difficulty on approach, he would need another pair of hands at the controls in order to switch to manual operation. I left the search for backup to the guys downstairs, because at that moment my assistance was needed on the upper deck. Our captain was now shielded by a curtain, so I had no idea how he was doing or how the first officer was coping without him. I straightened my neck scarf and strode confidently, with a slight bum wiggle, back up the aisle. I was fully aware that every single person in the cabin was scrutinising my demeanour with anxious eyes, making sure I was not wearing an expression that screamed, We're going to crash! We know the score. Watch the air hostesses, and if we're not panicking, you know everything is okay. That's why we look so bloody cheerful all the time. Anyone who thinks being an air hostess is all about serving tea and coffee and looking pretty is kidding themselves. It takes stamina, patience, commitment, and a whole load of acting talent. As I was nearing the end of my aisle struts to assess my passengers' reactions, two of our more burly stewards came bounding up the staircase and slipped behind the curtain. At the same time, a sweet elderly woman sitting in one of the aisle seats reached up and lightly tapped my arm. "'Excuse me, dear,' she said. "'How is that poor captain? Will he be okay? Is there anything we can do to help?' I crouched down to speak to her. She smelled of murray mints and palm olive soap, and was wearing powder-blue stretchy trousers teamed with a floral top, a typical Nan Abroad outfit. Her eyes were roomy and sincere. Thankfully, they're not all arrogant divas in premium. Stored in the chair pouch in front of her, next to the laminated 747-400 safety instruction card and token sick bag, was a clear duty-free bag containing a cuddly toy and a giant bar of Toblerone. She was sitting inside an aluminium tube, hurtling towards New England, the plane was descending more rapidly now, bouncing through rain clouds. Very soon, the seatbelt sign would illuminate, followed by the double ding instructing crew to prepare the cabin for landing. Downstairs, our colleagues were discreetly being asked, Do you know how to fly a plane? I placed my hand on the woman's floral shoulder and said, I'm sure he'll be fine. This kind of thing happens all the time. He probably got out of his seat too quickly. He'll just need a little break. A cup of tea, maybe a little oxygen. I pointed at the teddy. He's cute, I said, in an attempt to distract her from the ongoing crisis. Who's that for? A proud smile lit up her face, instantly knocking a good ten years off her. It's for my grandson, she said. I'm going to see him for the first time. My son lives in Boston. He's got ever such a good job, very high up. Oh, how lovely, I said. Now, you relax and enjoy the rest of your flight. I'm going to see the captain, so I'll tell him you were asking after him. Christ, little does she know what we're dealing with here, I thought, as I strode towards the flight deck. On a positive note, I noticed that the nervous wreck Lush had slipped into an alcohol-induced slumber. In the time it had taken me to park the trolley, make the call to Jane, and calm the passengers, Felicity and the two stewards had managed to move the captain to the crew rest area within the flight deck. Felicity emerged from the flight deck just as I arrived at the recess. How is he? I asked. Not good, Mandy, she said, closing the curtain behind us. 
We've strapped him into one of the bunk beds, attached him to the defibrillator and given him oxygen. The cabin service supervisor is monitoring him now. He's drifting in and out of consciousness. I think he's had a bloody heart attack. Have you spoken to the first officer? Yeah, he's fine. He's going to land on autopilot and he can use one of us to do his checklist with. I hope it's not me. Fingers crossed there won't be any complications. There's nothing else he can do, really. He hasn't got a choice. I gave Felicity a reassuring hug. Jane's going through the crew list as we speak to see if we have any pilots on board, I said. And then the curtain swished behind us and our problem was solved. It was a junior crew member from Economy, dressed in his uniform tabard, head held high as he announced, Hi, I'm Ben. I've come to help land this plane. It transpired that young Ben held a private pilot licence, and although he didn't have nearly enough flying hours under his belt to officially land a big jet, his knowledge was sufficient for him to assist the first officer better than we could. What took you so long? joked Felicity.